0: amen um you all a lot of you i won't say you all i'm not sure probably know my husband kendon um my southern accent just came out i didn't even know i had one uh (laughs) um i um i am from the south you wouldn't know it i really don't have an accent i don't know where that came from um but he's been here. We were trying to figure out. He's been coming to Rodney Pike for probably 11 years. Um, he, when he first started evangelizing, Bill, Bill Claypole and Bill Isaacs helped my husband tremendously in getting in that scene from senior, being a senior pastor to evangelizing. So you're more familiar with him and his props. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint. I didn't bring any props today. I brought a Tina, but <laughs> I didn't bring any props. Um, so just all the props are Jesus this morning. Right? Amen. That's the only prop I brought, Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Um, but I'm excited. I'm honored um, to be invited to, to stand at this pulpit for the conference. And in, in lieu of your pastor, I hope you guys realize what an amazing um, leadership and pastors you have here. And pa- Kenyon would be very disappointed with me if I didn't have you all stand and give honor. I know last month was pastors' appreciation, but let me tell you, they deserve more than just a month. So we're going to stand and we're going to honor the man and the woman of God that, that pray for you, that intercede for you, that cover your children, that anoint this house, that fill it with the presence of God. They lead you with integrity. They lead you with authority. They lead you by the word. Let me tell you, not every church in America is actually preaching the word. So we love you guys from the Alexander household. To the Bible, we love up, we love your children, we love your great, we love the whole ancestry, we love you all, amen. Your guys are very, very blessed in this church with um, your pastors, amen. And I appreciate their friendship, but we're gonna go ahead and get into this, all right. I want to do give my condolences to the family that is in mourning today. I don't know who you are, but the Lord does, and I'm praying for his peace and his comfort. Um, and for your family just be wrapped in his arms as you travel this journey of grief. We all go through it differently. Amen. So, and I pray you are surrounded by people that will keep you lifted up in this season. If you carry an old-fashioned Bible, <laughs> and not a an nap, or you like to turn, I am turning to Mark 4, um, 35 and 41. I'm, I'm hitting on some familiar text, which can be very intimidating, um, because so many people know the story, and sometimes when we think, oh, I know that one. You know, what are you preaching on that for? That's so f- regular, but you know what? This is what I've learned about the, Lord, the Word of God is just when you think you have dug as far as you can, you look down, you realize you're just ankle deep, that there is so much you can still extrapolate from the Word of God. And I, I, it's so iridescent to me in that what you can be looking at it one way your entire life, and then you go through a season. And the Lord will take you back to a familiar portion of scripture and then shine new light. And you're like, why didn't I see that before? So I'm praying that he shines some light this morning as we look at familiar text. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that that you will give me the tongue of the learned this morning to speak your word with authority Lord Jesus and through through the scope through the filter of the Holy Spirit that none of me comes out this morning but all of you in Jesus name we pray and everybody says amen all right Mark 4 35 through 41 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation um, so here we go Uh, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to, growing to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen. How many are grateful you serve our God that even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, I'm a teacher by trade. That's what I do. I teach history. So whenever I teach, I like to look at who's all in this situation. I like to delve. I like to look and see the, what's the back story. So I wanted to know, who is Mark? Who is this dude, Mark, that's telling this story? I want to know about him. So first of all, we need to know that he is probably the one who, he probably wrote the first gospel. This was probably the first one ever written. He was young, and he was, but he was not even a disciple. So he never even saw any of these stories, witnessed them in person. Yet he tells such a phenomenal account. He has the most action packed gospel of all the gospels, even though it's the shortest. So he tells a lot in his, he has like ESP and highlight type stuff. He just packs it all in there, but he tells all these stories. Um, It is possible. There were some really neat things I learned that possibly some things they're pretty certain of. And this one, this is one. of Anybody have any questions you want to ask when you get to heaven? Like mine mine is like, okay, does Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I just need to know that because anybody with me? But I want to (laughs) know because this one had me so curious. They said that there is this, there is a person in Mark 14 that this might be John Mark there was a, s- a situation where he was a kid was running they grabbed his cloak the the Romans were trying to grab him, and he ran away naked and some people believe that this might be him I need to know because that is just crazy <laughs> that Mark if you want to look it up Mark fourteen fifty one through 52 was that is that really I mean it's That just blew my mind when I was reading that. His mother was very prominent in the church. We first meet his mom, Mary... And Acts twelve twelve, and that was the point where Peter was in jail, and he, he got out, and he runs to a home he knew Christians would be at. How many of you want to have that kind of home that when somebody's in trouble, they know to run to your house, that that's where the presence of God will be? So they run there. Some even they they um, speculate maybe this one can't be proven, but another question I would I'm dying to know is was this the house even that the Last Supper was held at? They even some speculate that they own the garden of gethsemane that jesus went to that this woman was that prominent she was wealthy she had a servant she was had a home big enough to house people as they were coming and coming to the lord was that a possibility i can't prove it the 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 historians can't prove it but it's a big enough question in my head that has me thinking this mark had a phenomenal home he grew up in this strong mom who who believed in this Christ she heard about and from the beginning that would have been a very difficult step to take guys to go from Judaism to Christian Christianity during the Roman Empire all right so this 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 this, this is where he's coming out of so he he, be- he met Peter for the first time when Peter came to his house potentially um, on in that portion of acts 1212 12. And then he went on the first missions trip with Paul. So even though he is not prominent, he is very much a part. He is a huge thread in this fabric of the beginning church. Do we, can we get with that? Can we at least get behind that? That he was very much a part. But then he becomes the first bishop of Alexandria. And what I love is that he started the first church in Africa. He started, this man started the first church in Africa. We can't, that's not a little thing, people. That's a big thing. That That is historic. And as a history teacher, anytime you have a first, that's huge. But to say you planted the very first church on one of the largest continents in the world, you have my attention. You have my attention. So who is this man? So if he wasn't at any of these events that were recorded, Whose story is he telling? And it is f- thoroughly believed he is telling the perspective of Peter. This is Peter's story. Peter who, I call him Cussing Peter. All right? Peter who had not didn't have patience, he chopped off ears. Sometimes you need a friend that will chop off an ear for you. But then you need another friend that will heal it. <laughs> but, um... He was he was but he was the rock he, but, but he was also the one who denied Christ three times but that but when Jesus wrote he said go tell Peter and the disciples so Peter he said on this rock I'll build my church that Peter had a very prominent role in the kingdom of God So this is in all accounts Peter's story through the pen of Mark because Mark was Roman and he was Jewish so he he could write it he translated for him into, a, into Latin that it could be spread further. So his role was really important. So I, I needed you to understand who this Peter is. not Peter, Mark. We know Peter pretty well. Wouldn't we all agree, we know Peter pretty well. So who was Mark? That's, that's who we're dealing with here. So we are talking about this storm, and in all accounts, this was not just a regular storm. It was a sudden storm. Any of you have come in life and you just had a sudden storm a sudden storm, some some storms you see coming, but this was a sudden storm. And these were fishermen who should have known because the Sea of Galilee, where it was positioned, low um, on sea level, but surrounded by mountains, storms were not uncommon, all right? My husband's a hunter, and he can tell me the barometric pressure, he can tell me what the wind's gonna, he knows when it's good to go hunting. I mean, granted, he has technology now, but back then, they still would have known, even Jesus said to them in Luke 12:54 that the people he was talking to, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it does. So they had the ability back then to interpret. And a fisherman really would have had, that would have been an arsenal, a tool in their pocket. It just would have been a trick of the trade. You would have been able to look at the clouds, um, there's, I don't know they didn't use these back then. These are more modern terms, probably, I don't know, when sailors in the 1700s. But things like mackerel scales and more tails make tall ships carry low sails. So the different types of clouds, and those are the clouds that look like fish scales, that when you see those in the sky, a storm is coming. I didn't know that, all right? I learned that. But a sailor, that's just part of their training. That's part of the training. They would know to look at the sky and look at the clouds. I love that God tells things in the clouds. I love that he tells things in the stars. Don't tell me there isn't a God and that's all just science. No, that is not just science. That is my creator being creative. That is just amazing to me that the clouds can talk to us. Amen? So they would have known these seven, uh, at least seven of these dudes in the ship were were fishermen. How did they miss this unless it was not a typical storm? Unless it was really an enemy on assignment after them to keep Jesus from getting to the other side. Let me tell you, the enemy will send you a sudden storm to keep you from getting to the other side because on the other side there was a breakthrough for somebody that, that Jesus needed to get to. So he, this was not just a normal storm. In 1931 to 1935, there were about 50 dust storms that hit and swept through the time frame of the Great Depression. But it was one storm particularly on April 14th, 1935, that was different than any of the other ones they had experienced. So just like those fishermen that were in that boat with Jesus, they had seen storms. I have a feeling this was a like any other storm they had seen. In nineteen thirty five when that when that hit, it was a beautiful, clear, sunny, Sunday afternoon. When people recount what they saw, they said there was not even a cloud in the sky. It was pristine and just beautiful. And the next thing they know, they see, as some describe, a tornado, a twister on its side coming at them. Some of them described it as a black mountain moving towards them. And it moved up to 40 to 60 miles per hour, hitting Oklahoma into Texas from 4 p.m. to around 7.20 p.m. to the point that it was so thick that they said they couldn't even see their hands in front of their faces that that's how bad it was it was this black thick storm of dirt coming at them even though they had experienced other ones This one was different. It is the one that coined the phrase, the dust storm. It hit them economically, it hit them psychologically, it hit them physically. Economically, it destroyed the land. Psychologically, it messed with their minds because whatever they, when they were trying to eat, because that sand would just be everywhere all the time. Uh, How many of you, after a hard day work, your my favorite thing to do is to get in a made bed with clean sheets. That's like one of my favorite things in the world, especially if the sheets just came out of the dryer and I've just dealt with sixth graders all day and I'm just, I just want to climb in bed. But sand, they said they would get in their bed and dirt in their, in their bed. They would go to eat and they would have to learn to cover, turn their cups upside down in the cupboards and it would, the bugs and everything would come through the walls and you could hear the spiders and the scorpions falling through the wall. Tell me that wouldn't mess with you after a while psychologically. Then in physically, they were breathing this in, so they were getting something called dust pneumonia. Let me tell you, when you have it's one when you have one thing coming at you, you got a you you got a struggle. But when you have three things coming at you, honey, you got a stronghold. And they were facing a stronghold at that time. Let me tell you, at this time, these these fishermen with Jesus were facing a stronghold because the wind was coming at them, the waves were coming at them, the water was coming at them. They have in their possession and what they're facing, a stronghold. But I love that the word of God tells me in 2 Corinthians 10.45, the weapons of warfare are not weapons of this war. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought that sets itself up against Christ. Your strongholds happen when you are being attacked spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Some of you sitting in this room, you are in that kind of storm. It wasn't just that you lost your job. Your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you are emotionally coming unhinged. You are in a stronghold. Some of you have lost family members in this season. One after another in your heart, you're thinking, I can't take another loss. I can't take another another hit you are in a stronghold where we serve a god who breaks strongholds we serve a god who tears down denominations dominions principalities by the blood of jesus that there is no stronghold that can stand against it matter of fact he is sitting there peacefully jesus was sleeping jesus was sleeping jesus took naps i saw that t-shirt the other day i want it Their responses, because this is told also in Luke. I'm going to go back and check. Matthew 8 and Luke 8 both recount the story. What is interesting is they tell it differently, not completely differently, but their responses. How did they all respond? Because you and I can be going through similar things. Think about it. When you have a family member that is going through the same thing, you can both respond differently to the same event right? Even a husband and wife can respond differently to the same event. So in Matthew, they said, save us. In Luke, they recorded a saying, we are going to drown. But Mark records something that's so telling to me. It's so much more personal. It says this, and I love the, and I'm not normally a King James Version person, but I love how it reads, carest thou not carest thou not carest thou not carest thou not god do you not care that my kids aren't serving the lord and i raised them in the church my whole life carest thou not that my my marriage is coming apart do you not care that we're struggling here financially, Lord? Do you not care that I'm emotionally coming undone? God, do you not care that I feel like my mind can't, is, 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 can't function and can't think and my stability and my peace? And do you not care that that I, I am riddled with cancer? Do you not care that my mother is on a ventilator? Do you not care? Let me tell you, when a storm or a stronghold hits, one of the first things the enemy is going to get in your ear and convince you of is that God is an uncaring, unfeeling, uncompassionate God. The world will convince you of that. If God was real, then why is all this stuff happening? If your God is so awesome... Why is there people, um, the poverty? Why are there people dying in mass droves of this disease and that disease? And why is there wars everywhere? Well, that's not because, that's, that's the absence of God in people's lives, not the absence of God. That's, that, 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 that's not, that's a huge difference, huge difference. But the enemy, if you don't know, then the enemy is going to convince you that God is uncaring. When we are in a storm, a stronghold, a fight for our lives, the first thing the enemy does is try to convince you God does not care. God is full of emotion. We are made in his image. So outside of sinful emotions like lust, God doesn't operate in lust. Those, were, those came in with, with the fall of man. But love, he is love. I don't even have to I mean we know scripture's out the door on that one. But he experienced sadness. When Lazarus died, he cried. He wept. He wept for somebody he loved and he felt that human emotion of loss. The God of all creation who who never knew loss before in that sense experienced it and he did the natural thing. He cried. He wept. He understood grief. In Ephesians 4.30, it tells us how he, the, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit can grieve by our, our actions. He understood regret twice in the Bible, only two times. And this isn't regret like God makes mistakes because my God does not make mistakes. This is regret like severe grief that he, one, when he had made man, and two, when he had appointed Saul. I regret that I had made him king. Regret. I love that he didn't wallow there. That's what we tend to do. We tend to wallow in regret. He just moved on with it. He wiped the earth clean and he appointed David. That problem solved. All right? <laughs> All right? He, under, he has desires. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burning, burnt offerings. Our God has desires for us. We often mess up that one that God will give us the desires of our heart. For a long time, I thought that was this magical potion, whatever I wanted, God would give me. And thank you, Lord. I think there's a country song. Thank you for unanswered prayers. Woo. I would I'd be probably be married to a crackhead right now, to be quite honest with you, if he would have given me what I liked in high school. And he said, mm closing that door, sister. He doesn't give us our desires. When you seek and serve the Lord, he puts his desires in our hearts, and then he answers those, all right? So he has desires for us that are far better than our desires for, himself, for ourselves. Now, chances are, in this retelling, it wasn't just some random person's feelings about this, that God, don't you care? It most likely was Peter who said, carest thou not? It was most likely Peter's Mark writing it down. Well, what did you say that day? I know what Matthew said, and, I know, and Luke says this, but what did you say? Well, i got to be honest. I thought he didn't care about us. I thought he didn't care. I thought he didn't care. I thought he was just sleeping there because he he didn't care. He made the presumption about Christ based on what he perceived to be true. And he sees him laying there unmoved by the storm. He sees that he's not bothered by the wind. He's not bothered by the waves and not bothered. Instead of that giving him comfort, well, if God's not moved, then I shouldn't be moved. But he began to step into emotions, and he interpreted his actions as saying, you don't care. We do this all the time in our marriages. When our husbands do not respond the way we expect them to, we we process it as, you don't care. And vice versa. When people don't respond the way we want them to, we process it as, well, you just don't care. And then we don't communicate We don't say this is, and that that lack of communication bring discord. It wasn't that he didn't care. Peter draws this conclusion, and it is based on fallacy. It's completely based on fallacy. And things haven't changed much. We project this same mindset on God. When he does not move the way we want to, and this comes down to pride and power, we talked about this yesterday in our, that when we, he doesn't move the way we want him to move, because we think we can tell God how to do things. When he doesn't heal, when we want him to heal. When he doesn't restore the way we want him to restore. When he doesn't put things back together the way they were before they came broken and and unhinged, then we are frustrated with God and you don't care. When his plan is greater, his purpose is greater, he sees the whole picture. We only see a fraction. And it's not that he doesn't care He is just working all things together for the good of those who love and who've been called according to his purpose. Even if it doesn't work your way, I would rather be in his way than my way because my way will mess things up every single time. He cares. He did not, he wanted him, he put God in a box and expected him to respond according to his expectations and, and, and to work out his problems and his circumstances the way he wanted it done. And when God didn't, he felt rejected, he felt neglected, and he felt dejected. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you that sounds like he is being redundant that he's saying the same thing that he'll never leave you nor forsake you those are actually two different meanings never leave you means he will never his presence will never depart from you his presence is with you how many of you are grateful I believe it was David who said I don't want to go anywhere if, if I'm not in your presence or if your presence isn't there don't take me there I've been to some places in my life that even when I wasn't saved and I was dancing with the devil with the blue dress on as a teenager and going into parties, I had no business, even though I had a praying mama at home, the Holy Spirit I could went with me. And he'd be like, "You shouldn't be here, and I would take a turn, <laughs> walk on out. All right? Because even when I was a hot mess, his presence was still with me because I came from a home where mom or the enemy was assigning demons. Mama was assigning angels. He should put angels in charge over you and keep you in all your ways. Praise God for a mama who prayed and and a dad who reared us in that so that his presence is with you. He doesn't leave you forsake you he will not abandon you emotionally he will not abandon you we are these emotional creatures we have all these emotions that's not just a female thing with emotions we we should retain you guys that you don't have emotions you have emotions my husband hunts he gets really mad when he misses that deer let me tell you i got to hear about it for hours about where the arrow should have gone and where he should have been standing and how he should have moved and where the ble- – I mean, I get detailed, all of it. And I'm like, I love you, honey. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh, all kinds of emotions. So <laughs> – sorry, we're not letting Kenan see this, are we? <laughs> no. He does it. He, we, oh, he, he He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful because before I even knew about his real physical presence in my life, I needed him to help me emotionally. I was an emotional wreck. Before I even knew I was an emotional wreck, I was turning to alcohol at 12, 13 years of age because I was an emotional wreck. And I was trying to fill that void. I needed him. And thank goodness he never forsook me. He never left me to my own devices. He continued to put people in my life to minister and speak to me and tell me God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There's a calling on you. And I would kind of shake it off, but he never forsook me. Even at my worst, even when I made my bed in hell, he came there with me. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, and he wasn't abandoning them there. But it's possible to be physically in a marriage or relationship, but emotionally be absent. Yeah. And that's we—that's f- why we feel that way. We feel God has abandoned us because our human relationships do that. Yeah. All right? I was just talking to someone the other day, who, and they were telling me that they're in a marriage, but there's no love there. There's no emotion there. They're just there. And they're just staying in it because they feel... Like, that's what they're just supposed to do. And I'm praying and believing that God restore that love, that he rekindle it and set it anew and stir it up because uh, sometimes it's a daily choice to love. Sometimes it's like, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to abide in love for you today until God heals whatever has been emotionally. Because, again, he promised not to leave nor forsake you. He's promised not to leave or forsake your marriage. To heal that, to restore love. Our God cares You see, it wasn't the wind and the waves that got Jesus to his feet. He wasn't in a relationship with them. It was the voice of the disciples that when they said teacher, when they said Jesus, when they called his name, let me tell you, when you call on Jesus, when you are in that stronghold, I cannot tell you a greater thing to do than if all you can do is just whisper Jesus. And if you can make it a little louder to make the gates of hell shake, then do it a little louder and just call on Jesus. I promise you, he is going to stand up and say, baby girl, I hear you. And he is going to come running because that's the God we serve. He cares when I when you have pa- any parents in the house. How many of you, when your kids, you've been sleeping, dead asleep, and you hear that sound of throw up. Come on, and you shoot up in bed. Somebody's sick, and you go running. Well, my husband doesn't because he's he's one of those ones that he. What do you call that? Reaction puker. Like it. <laughs> There's other things he handled, but that is, we had a deal. <laughs> that was a deal. I I'm like, he's like, you could, I'll do this and this, but when they start puking. But you do, you get up and you go running. Why? Because you care. I can promise you God cares infinitely more about You. And that when you're spiritually puking, I promise you, he is going to get up and come run into your side. He is going to clean up that mess. He's going to put you back in a new pajama and he's going to tuck you back in bed and say, darling, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He cares. He cares. He cares for the outcast. He cares for the discarded. He cares for the forgotten. He cares for the rejected. He cares for the downtrodden. He cares for the second class citizen. He cares for women. I think it's profound that when Jesus first stepped out of that tomb, he could have allowed anybody to see him first. He could have allowed anybody to be the first on the scene, but he allowed a woman, a second-class citizen at the time in history, that a woman wasn't even allowed to testify in court because her it was assumed all women lied. But he said, Baby girl, you get to be the first to preach the gospel. Don't tell me we're out of order with women in the pulpit. Because let me tell you, the first one to ever declare that Jesus lives was a woman. So don't tell me that women can't preach. Don't you tell me we can't share the word. God used them over and over again. Why? Because he cared about the second class, he cared about slavery. It broke his heart. He cared about the civil rights movement. It broke his heart. He cared. He cares, and he will care. He cares about what's happening in this nation. He cares about what's happening in your marriage. He cares about what's happening in your family. He cares about what's happening in public schools. He cares. He loves us. My God cares. Here's the danger. That if we watch the news long enough, and we listen to social media long enough, we will start to buy into the lie that Jesus just doesn't care. That God doesn't care. And our hearts will become callous. There's a lot of callous Christians out there. Their hearts have become hardened. By the deceitfulness of this world. And they've forgotten how much their God loves them. Because if he, again, if he's not responding the way we want him to, then he must not love me. As much as I've been told. He loves us and he cares. It won't take long in this jacked up world to get jacked up thinking. If we do not guard Our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says that we are to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of your life. We need to guard this. We need to guard this. We need to guard our hearts. We eat every single day. Unless you're fasting. You eat every day. Nobody has to tell you to eat. Right? Nobody tells me to eat. I eat every single day. Why don't we feed on the word every single day? Why don't we, de- I love Jeremiah, says, when I heard your words, I devoured them. Let me tell you, I devoured some wings yesterday. <laughs> I cleaned all the meat off them bones. Tina can testify. Why don't we devour the word like that? Why don't we eat the meat off the bone to, and suck the marrow out. That's, that's good southern eating when you suck the marrow out. All right? You don't even leave juice in the bone. Why can't we be like that with the word? I want to suck all the marrow out of this word. You want to guard your heart. You better get in this word because if you're relying on once a week for pastor to do that for you, your heart is going to harden. Your your arteries are going to clog with fear and doubt and bitterness and anger and rage and disappointment. Your, Your spiritual arteries are going to start to clog because you're not eating healthy. You're not feeding your body. You're feeding your body, but you're not feeding the spirit one day this body is going to rot and be worm food but my spirit my spirit who i am who the essence of everything that is what Christ, Christ didn't die for this body he died for my soul why do we not feed our souls we have we live in a time frame there's so much at our hands there's no excuse there is absolutely no excuse You have a gazillion versions of the Bible. You have them on an app. You want a Bible study? Amazon will have it at your house the next day. You want a video on it? YouTube will put you up a video. I want to learn more about this. There's no excuse. Yet we were probably one of the laziest generations in studying God's word. You have people in China. You have people in in communist-blocked countries that will get pieces A paper, like a—they—they're not. It's illegal for them to hold a whole Bible. So what they do is they pass around and they memorize it, and they say, "I memorize it because I don't know when I'll ever see it again." So they not only—they know the word. We're lucky if kids know John three sixteen this these days, (laughs) or the Lord's Prayer. We become lazy. And we wait like babies. I tell my students all the time when I'm teaching them that now that you're in sixth grade, I expect you to put your big girl pants on, your new big boy pants on, that I don't treat you like a baby, and I I don't want helicopter moms calling me. You are responsible for your homework and your work, and don't tell me your mom forgot to put it in your bag because that's not your mama's job. She has a job, all right? And I ask them, does mom still feed you? Does she still go, "Mm -hmm," no? No? Does she put your clothes on for you in the morning? No. Does she wipe your bottom? They're like, ew, no. I go, exactly. So why are you still waiting on him to feed you? Why are you still waiting on him? He might be you're the spiritual father of this house, but he shouldn't feed you every day. You're big enough to feed yourself. And if you don't learn to do that, your heart, we're getting in last day times, your heart is going to harden when the persecution comes, you're going to thank God. Carest thou not instead of God, this is what you proclaimed. And in persecution, there is elevation and I'm okay with that. Let the persecution come because he's only going to persecute those who are his, and that means I'm his, you have to guard your heart, the word. It then cleanses and not only feeds, but it cleanses your heart. The Proverbs say, create in me, or the psalm says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit. We need that daily. You wash daily. I hope so. Right? You wash. Why don't we wash our hearts daily? Why don't we clean those out daily? Lord, just flush all of that out. Man, before you even go to bed, God, today was frustrating. Today was trying, Lord. Today I got so angry. Please flush that out of my heart this morning. Flush it out. Renew a right spirit in me so I don't take it to my husband. I don't take it to my kids. I don't take it to witness. Man, nothing worse than a Christian that looks like they've been dipped in pickle juice trying to tell people about Jesus. Like, I don't want that. You look angry. Why would I want that? Clean your heart. Come back and talk to me. Cleanse, cleanse, cleanse your heart. It's these cleansing agents, prayer, and and the gift of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, helps me guard my heart. I actually told my students (laughs) the other day. I said, I know you're not supposed to pray in school, but I'm going to have to take ten seconds, ten seconds, because you kids are not listening. And I did. I'm surprised I didn't get any phone calls from any parents. I just stood there, and the Lord and I had a conversation cleansing my heart, Lord. Give me patience right now. Help me right now. These, she's, these kids need to see Jesus. They don't need to see an angry Puerto Rican up here trying to teach them about imperialism. But I did. I prayed in school. Let me tell you, prayer is still in school, people. <laughs> as long as you have God-fearing teachers, you will always have prayer in school. All right? So I just sat there quietly. I did a little Hannah thing, and my lips were moving. But I had to. I had to. Because prayer cleanses my heart. It doesn't allow it to harden towards those students. It doesn't allow me to harden towards my family, my kids. But probably one of the best ways, not that any of those aren't great, but I'm telling you when that your go-to, when that stronghold is really hitting you, I can't think of a greater efficacy than worship. My mom, let me tell you about my mom really quickly, and hopefully I'm not going too long. My mom, um who was raised Catholic, married my father, who became a Baptist preacher, and somehow Catholic plus Baptist equaled Pentecostal. Don't ask me how that math, that's like common core math, all right? But that's how it worked in our house, that by the time I was born, they were speaking in tongues, and they, they believed in healing. When I was nine months old, I pulled hot coffee all over a percolator, which is probably why I didn't drink coffee till my second child, now that I'm putting that all together, that I pulled hot coffee all over me, and I had third-degree burns all over my body. And my mom and my dad scooch me up they actually my dad loved to pick up people off the side of the road and bring them home my mama would feed them that was her gift and he would witness to them and they had three men there that they were witnessing to and they watched me and they said bud you need to take her to the hospital he said no they took me to their camper they laid hands on me put oil on me and my sister told me one of my sisters i have six sisters told me sybil told me i the holy spirit told me to open my eyes and i watched as each blister went away on your body I should be scarred today. I should be scarred today. Not much long after that, I was choking on a screw, and the Holy Spirit, somehow I got a hold of a screw. And, my, and my, the Holy Spirit said, go check on the baby. My mom went to go look for me. She said, "My was blue in the face. And She said, I saw the death angel over your crib. And she said, I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. Don't you underestimate the power of praying in the Holy Spirit. She said, I had no idea what was going on, so I just began to pray over, in, over you. And then I just naturally coughed up a screw. When I was four, I stepped on an open wire, soaking wet. We lived in a a single wide trailer. We were dirt poor but full of love and full of the power of the Holy Ghost. And I stepped soaking wet out of the bathtub on an open exposed wire. My mom saw me getting electrocuted. My whole childhood, she would tell those stories to people. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Here we go again. Here we go again, yeah. And they would tell me, and this is, mind you, I was... I was living in sin. I was, yeah, okay, Mom. And I remember God turning to me and saying that after she would tell that, she loved to testify because we overcome by the power of the blood and the power of our testimony. So she testified to perfect strangers all the time. And it used to embarrass me as a child. But she also loved to worship. She didn't have the best singing voice. But it's not about your voice. It's about the worship. All right. It's not. I mean, we need to get past that. That it has to be perfectly, because then we we get in the entertainment. And she would stand and just, she loved R.W. Schombach. She would get her ghetto blaster and literally lived in the ghetto, so I can say that. Um, that she would open up the window and stick it in the, and she would blare Keith Green, which how do you blare Keith Green? But she would, and she would blare R.W. Schombach, and again, it would embarrass me. Because the whole neighborhood would hear. But they, even though she lost my father and she was only 14, they called her the joyful widow. Drug dealers would move out of her way like Moses in the Red Sea. Mama would come and they would just move out of the way. One time someone stole my bike. I made honor roll and for my mom to afford to get a bike was a big deal. Someone stole it. She stood on our porch in government housing and she says, I'm giving you till Five. To bring back this bike and then the Holy Ghost is coming after you. That bike was back on my porch. That is what I grew up with. But when she would worship, my fondest memory was her worshiping at the kitchen sink. With soap rolling down her hands. Her nightgown drenched in worship. She didn't need to be in a church service to worship. She worshipped hanging clothes on the clothesline. That's what I witnessed. So that in 2012, when the biggest storm hit our life in ministry, and I watched my husband withering away because of the stress and the enemy tormenting him, and I didn't know anything else to do. When he went to church and the boys were taking a nap, I went into my room and closed the door, and I began to sing the songs I heard my mama sing growing up. I didn't even sing anything modern. I said, I'm going old school today, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. That's what I did. I just had to sing that in my room. Until I knew God was calming the storm. Until I knew he was calming the wind to stop. I knew that I couldn't see it in the natural. But in the spiritual, I knew, God, you're up and you're moving and you're calming that storm on my behalf. And then I watched him move. And I don't have time to tell you what he did to orchestrate everything to move us to another position. Because let me tell you, there's no hurt like church hurt. And to watch people that we helped bury their family and that we we went to hospitals and prayed for them and that we married and did all these things and broke bread turn on you and vilify you. It about destroyed him. But then God, whoo, I serve a good God because I watched his preaching. I watched how he worked with my, it changed him for the better. He went through his anointing because it crushed him, that anointing. He got a double portion, a double for his pain, a double for his suffering. But to keep my heart, let me tell you, a pastor's heart can harden really quickly. And we can hide it really good for the sake of our husbands. But I know plenty of pastor's wives who sit there, but they're not even here. Because their hearts have hardened. But if I didn't have a mama, come on, some of you, what roots? I had good roots. I went back to my roots. Are you teaching your kids how to pray? Are you teaching your kids? How to worship. Do they, cause what they watch you do is what they will run to when the storm hits. If they see you gossiping or, or venting on Facebook, guess what they're gonna do when the storm hits? They're gonna do the same thing. If they watch you drinking and running to QVC when the storm hits, guess what's gonna happen? They're gonna do the same thing. We need to be giving our kids good roots. So that they know where to run to when the storm hits. My mom died this year. And I'm going to close here. And if you want to stand to your feet and if worship, you don't have to. But if you want to, however you. When my mom was passing this year, it wasn't from COVID, but she was on a ventilator. And I had to fly very quickly from Pittsburgh, PH, down to Hilton Head, South Carolina. And, um. I knew it was going to be the last time I saw her. And <laughs> I, I just sat and talked with her, and I held her hand, and, and I sang to her that song, Jesus, Jesus. I said, Mom, I, next time I see you, we're going to be singing together in heaven. But my heart, I was able to release her. And I didn't even have to ask the Lord, do you care us not? Because by now, just like Peter, Peter, when he first asked that question, it was Mark 4. It was kind of early in the relationship. But by 1 Peter 5, 7, he is able to say, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He says, I've been through some storms with him. I've been through some valleys. I've been through some tough places, I've wrestled some strongholds with me, and let me tell you, I can testify. One thing I am certain, I'm not sure how he's going to answer. I can't answer the why, but I can answer this. He will carry you through it. So that when I sat there with my mom and I held her hand, this woman that had seen me through so much, prayed me into ORU, told me, and I thought, so you better stop prophesying, woman. She told me, You're going to marry a pastor. And I said, Listen, I've been poor my whole life, but I'm rich in Jesus. Amen. This woman was leaving my life. How do you live without your mama? How do you do that? And how do you do it with grace and dignity without saying, God, I know this is not the last time I'm going to see her because she gave me good roots and I'm gonna dance with her on streets of gold, and I'm gonna celebrate the king, and on her birthday this year, I, I wasn't even grieved in my heart. I was jealous. I was like, man, she gets to be with Jesus on her birthday. That has to be the best birthday ever. That ha- and th- I can be like that, and, it's not, and I'm watching my brothers and sisters struggle because they don't know, some of them don't know how to let the Holy Spirit care for them. And heal them. And when I do hit those moments, and you actually sang today, how great is our God. My sister got to be there when she came out for just a little bit. And she says, I want to go home. And they thought she meant home. But she didn't really have a home of her own. I'm Because she wants to go home, home. She's ready to go home to be with Jesus. And my sister Sheila said the last song she sang with every energy she could lift, was how great is our God. With her hands lifted, with everything on her, I can't think of a better way to go than from going from this breath into the next, worshiping God. So, in honor of my mom, in honor of any of you who today are struggling, does God care? Worship and remind yourself He is great. and greatly to be praised. And every time you do that, whenever that enemy comes in to say, does he even care? You shut him up with some worship. You put a gag order on him with some worship and watch your countenance change because there's nothing greater for flushing that out of your heart than worship. Amen. I'm going to pray in closure and then you can just wrap it up in worship. I know some of you have to get to go serve today. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit minister to those who have been questioning this week, this month, this year. God, do you care? Let as this worship go forth today, be like the healing balm of Gilead to wash away every lie the enemy has tried to, to whisper into their ear that you don't care because you care infinitely more than we could ever wrap our feeble minds around. We honor, we bless, we glorify your name. Be with that family today. Let them know you care. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.